So we're in the, the middle of our series, uh, Not Your Own, and this morning the, the topic is kids. And um, every kid that, that we have, every kid that we encounter, uh, our, our own biological children, they're not ours. They're a gift that God has given to us. And I want to think about that this morning. There's this, this idea of stuff being not our own, we've talked about money, we've talked about words, we've talked about our salvation, we've talked about our privilege, we've talked about a lot of things. Being every, every gift that's in our lives, it's not ours for us to use for ourselves, for our own purposes. And I, I don't think there's a better example of that, a better way to teach that concept than thinking about kids. Um, and there are, in this room, there are, not everybody in this room is a parent, um, but maybe you will be, but everyone in this room has a relationship with a kid, right? Fair? Everybody here has at least some sort of relationship with a kid, and I want to talk about that this morning. We are parents, friends, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and we have an opportunity to invest the gospel, to disciple, and to, to uh, pass down the faith to, to children that we encounter. And, and I, I want to ask this one question before we get started that I kind of want, want to, it's been ringing in my head. What if every relationship with every child that each of us had, so think about you, every relationship that you have, what if you treated that relationship with the knowledge that this kid is going to spend roughly 70 years on this planet? And you attempted to leverage the relationship that you have with that child for the gospel. And, and I think about historical figures. What if we could go back in time and what if we were teaching a Sunday school class and the mayor of Ferguson was in that class? We knew he was gonna, what he was going to face one day. How would, how would we do, how would we be differently because the, the fact is, is that the children that are represented in this room, our kids, the kids who live next door to us, the, the kids who we teach in school, these children are going to go and be something. And somehow, in the providence and wisdom of our Savior, God has given us an opportunity to get to share some life with these kids. And then I want to point you to, to this picture. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So if we are not our own, we, we need to be leveraging all that we are to, to plant, to seed, to invest. There's, so many, there's a monetary illustration. When I say invest, that's, that's a metaphor of, of money. We're investing in these children. When I say plant the gospel in these kids, that's a... a, a planting illustration. It's a, it's a metaphor to, to, to plant a seed, to make it grow. And, and our call is, is to do that to these children. And someone, somewhere, did that to you. I was in a, uh, a leadership conference seven or eight years ago, and uh, the room was filled with, with pastors, with collegiate pastors, and with youth pastors. And the leader of this group, a guy named Matt, said, uh, I want everybody in this room 
to think of one or two things that were the greatest influence in your life to push you towards Jesus. So I want you to think about that, write one or two things down. Every single person in the room, there were about 50 of us, every one of us wrote down a person's name. I want, you to, I want you to think about that. Think about that if I were to ask you that question. What has been, aside from God and the Holy Spirit and Christ, what, what is the one or two things that have been the most influential things in your life to push you towards Jesus? Likely, you, you can think of a name, or if you're visual, you're, thinking of, of a, you're seeing a face. The fact of the matter is, God's intended plan and purpose to cultivate, to, to, to build his church and to build himself in you, his number one plan for that is people. And so many times we are, we're, we're self-centered people and we think about people investing in us, but I, I want to turn that to us to think about what has God called you to do or be with those kids? Um, that's, the, that's the purpose of our message this morning. Turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I need to, uh, I need to apologize. Um, some, I've, I've told some of you guys already. Uh, I'm going to have to turn around and, and read the screen this morning. Uh, I'm my, my eyes are getting really bad, and I had a backpack stolen out of my car with my Bible and my glasses in it. So, and, and these, I'm sorry, if you, if you have trouble seeing, I, I really apologize for the Bibles we have back there to give to you. They are really small. And I, I, just, I just can't read it. So, um, I don't have glasses, and I don't have a big print Bible. I'm going to be shopping in the big print Bible section of a bookstore coming up. That's awful. Oh. I'll try and uh, not have my shoulders slump too far. Uh, so, apologize, but let's read First uh, Timothy one five. Um, talking about this idea, we're going to talk about three things. This passage and some others are going to bring out three distinct things for us to do, us to be, us to be concerned with, with this idea of an, of our kids not being our own. And and when I say our kids, I don't mean the our biological kids. I'm talking about our kids, the ones that we are connected with. Maybe they're at this church, maybe they're in our neighborhood, maybe they're friends, kids, whatever. That's, when, I, when I'm saying our kids this morning, that's what I'm referring to. Um, so this, if you don't have children of your own, this message does not exclude you. Uh, so let's, let's read this verse. Um, 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writing a letter to Timothy and He's, he's going a, a completely different direction with the purpose of writing this, but the implied notion here is what I want to stick to. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. The point of the matter is, for Timothy, who's a, a, a young man that Paul was investing in, was planting the gospel in, had already had the faith passed down to him by his mom and his grandma. 
And, and I want you to see, I want you to, this is something that I'm sure we at least subconsciously acknowledge, but I want to be articulate and to the point about it, is that the faith, and when I say the faith, I, I could exchange the gospel, Christianity, who Jesus is, what Jesus is calling us to, who we are in Christ, his lordship, all those things, faith, gospel, all that stuff wrapped into this idea. So this idea is generationally planted in us. And maybe it's from a parent or maybe it's from a, another person who, who, who spoke the gospel into us. But the point is that Jesus, God's plan and purpose and design is to pass down the faith. All right? So there is an implication with this verse. Paul goes in a, in a completely different direction with what he's saying here. He, he's, but at the beginning of his communication with Timothy is this implied notion that there's a generational thing that's going on here. So I want us to be aware and think through this idea of, of planting, of passing down the faith. Um, it's not just a generational thing. It's also a personal thing. And uh, in particular, kids throughout all of Scripture, the call was for Timothy's mom and for Timothy's grandfather, and they had passed down the faith. And now Paul here is doing the same thing. It's passing down the faith that was passed down to him into Timothy. Timothy is not Paul's offspring, but he is a guy that they had, God had brought together. Everyone is involved here. Second thing I want this passage to say to us comes in verse 6. Verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This idea here is discipling our kids towards Jesus. Um, Paul is telling us to disciple our kids towards Jesus. This, this idea of fan into flame the gift of God. So let's break this down. The gift of God is the gospel in us. It's what Christ has done for us. It's who we are in Christ. It's all those things. It's our mercy. It's grace. It's peace. It's hope. It's all, that's the gift of God that we have as a possession of ours. And Paul is calling Timothy and those around him and Timothy to those around him to fan into flame this gift of God. And ultimately what Paul is saying here is disciple and be discipled. And this is a, an interesting note. When the word disciple shows up in Scripture, when, when it says go and make disciples in, in Acts and in other places, that word make disciples is really one word. We translate it as make disciples. But it's, it's one Greek word. And there's a, a, a great connotation that's there is to be a disciple is to make disciples. If you're not making disciples, you're not a disciple because you're, you're missing part of it. And it's the same notion that's here. Fan into flame the gift of God. It's disciple. It's making this stuff happen. It's, it's investing your life in people. So I want to spend a few minutes now being being really practical about this idea of fanning the flame as to a gift of God. Because here's, here's the thing. We have a huge amount of kids at North Church. Jeff likes to, to, to joke that we're going to change the name of our church to Reformed Baby Church. Because we have a lot of babies and we have a lot of pregnant moms. And we have, well, Beckett Sheets was born this week. Um, and we've got kids happening everywhere. 
And not just kids being born, but we have kids growing up, going to middle school, going to high school. We have kids, stuff is happening with our kids, all right? Um, so four to five times a year, you hear coming out of my mouth or Dave's mouth or one of the others, other elders' mouth is, we need your help in kids' ministry. You know why we do that? Because we need your help in kids' ministry. It's very simple. Um, sometimes pastors ask difficult questions. That was not a different, difficult one. We ask your help because we need your help because of the idea of this message. Um, hit the slide cube with all those names on it. This is, a, this is the best that I can come up with. I've asked a lot of parents. I've asked a lot of teachers. This is the best that I can come up with. And I apologize if someone that you know and you love missed this list and they're not up there. I apologize. This is the best that I can do. There are, I think, 60 names on this list. These are the names of every child, qualified every child, most every child, that have been in this church in the last 12 months. And when I say child, I mean from birth to high school. 60 of them. There's less than 60 people in this room. There's 60 kids who have been influenced in some capacity by this church and by the people that are in this church and by the people that teach back there. 60 of them. I want you to know that there are pastors on this list behind me. There are police officers. There are teachers. There are moms and dads. There are probably felons. Whatever they are, there are, the, the names that are on this list have about 60 to 70 years, on average, of life left to go. And we get a chance to spend time with them, to invest the gospel in them, to, to disciple them, to guide them, to shepherd them. Like, I'm, I sat and just stared at this list for 15 or 20 minutes, four or five times this week. Think about it. Look at, I mean, you've probably already looked through there. Are my kids' names on there? Yeah, there it is. You know, right? Am I right? Oh, yeah. And you're probably think, trying to think, you're, trying to, you're probably sitting there thinking, I'm going to find the one that Rick forgot. I'm just, like, I'm, I'm astounded by, like, Beckett, he's second column, third one down. What is, how old is he? How many days? Six days. He's six days old. I think the oldest one on there, the oldest high school age, Cecilia. Right? So we've got a lot of, lot of, lot of difference there. But like, there's a, there's a sovereignty to the nature of God. And he has brought kids to this church for us to invest the gospel in. What if we were to pour all that we are into half of these kids? How many, how many lives will, will these kids get to touch that you will never touch? That's, that's a big thought, right? Are you with me? 
These kids are not yours. They're God's. And he's given you a little bit of time to share with them. And I don't, when, I don't just mean Cooper, Mia, and Hannah. Those are the kids that live in my house. But every one of those, these kids, God has gifted them to my life. And every one of these kids, God has gifted them to your life. It's a, it's a massive deal. There's a lot of stories in this room of people who did not view you this way. Break that cycle. I want to I leave that up there for a, a bit longer, just so you can see those names and, and think through those names. I want to read this to you. These children will go places and be connected with people that we will never know and never go. The potential for the gospel to go deep into them and the potential of the gospel to go out because of them is infinite. Do you realize that? The potential for the gospel to go out because of these kids is infinite. Seriously, stop and consider the breath of what will be in the lives of these kids. Think about the influence that you might have in them, making a gospel investment in them, or just making a gospel investment in one of them. It's a big deal. I think that the best illustration of where I'm going here is um, with Jen and Rebecca and Hannah Grace. I've said this before, but I want to highlight it again because it's, it's a beautiful example I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago, God brought Rebecca into the life of our family. Um, and it's, it's interesting because Rebecca and Hannah Grace are back there teaching a class right now. I think that's a perfect example. Um, so Rebecca was a college student leading a small group of a group at a camp that I was teaching at. And her and Jen connected. The next summer, she was interning with us for one of three summers. Uh, the first of three summers. And what developed there is that for, I don't know, a year, year and a half, two years, every Wednesday night, Rebecca would come to our house and this is, the, this is what the night would look like. She would come to our house, hang out with our family, and her and Jen would cook our family meal for that night. And then we'd finish it up. I would do the dishes while they kind of sat and chatted a little bit. Then I'd put the kids to bed and then we would all kind of sit and chat discipleship was happening. Now, that same thing happens every Thursday, only it's Rebecca doing it to Hannah Grace. Um, and it's, it's cyclical, it's generational, but most of all, it's gospel. And when I say disciple the children towards Jesus, a lot of times that scares a lot of us because we don't know how to do that or what it looks like. And I bring that story up because Jen has never attended a theology class. She's never intended, uh, attended a discipleship class, never had training with that. But what did she do practically? Watch me follow Jesus. It's not that complicated. And here, for us, Jesus, look at those names. Look at them. God is calling you to disciple some of those kids. 
some of them that don't have the same last name that you have. God is calling you to do that. And I hope that he's putting a pretty fierce amount of pressure on some sort of nerve in you right now to do that. And it's not that complicated. Don't be afraid. They're kids. And you can't mess up. They're kids. Um, I have a list of a few things that you, you might be able to do with them. Pick them up after work one day and take them out to get ice cream. Who can do that? Kelly, Rick, thank you. At least two of us can. Ask their parents if you can begin to disciple them. Go directly to their parents. Say, hey, I'd like to begin to disciple your kid. Is that okay? Pray for them by name consistently. Pray for them by name consistently. Teach in a class. Babysit for their parents. Work together on a service project. You got a neighbor who has a disability or some kind that he can't work in his yard? Come pick up Cooper and you guys go do that. Go pick up Trey and go do that together. And you don't have to the whole time talk about, okay, here's why we're going to do this because Jesus has done this. Sure, that's fine if you want to, but just let them watch. Here's a, here's a great example of this. Um, yesterday, it's pouring down rain, remember? Hannah Grace had a dance competition in Arnold. We were in Arnold eating at Chick-fil-A. I went and got the van, pulled up to the, to the door to, so the kids could all get in, right? And kids and Jen could get in. But there was that period between like the awning and the van where it was raining really hard. Cooper, buddy, you almost made me cry. You, you ran around like so that Chick-fil-A is here and I'm, I'm like right here. So they got to run around the van. Cooper is first. He opens Jen's door, then opens his door and gets in. And like, whoa. And it's, it's just, it's subtle and it's simple. But the picture is they're, they're watching, they're paying attention. Somebody in my life about 20 years ago said, open the door for your girlfriend, open the door for your wife. And almost every time I do that for Jen, it's simple, it doesn't amount to much. Jen's fully capable of opening her door. But the, the point is, I'm acknowledging to her that I want to hupatasso. I, I want to do for her. And Cooper has watched that. And he wasn't told to do that. He knows it's raining. It'd probably be helpful if I opened the doors. I, if I got by, my mom would get a little bit less wet than I would. Kids are paying attention. And this is discipleship. This, this didn't come from Cooper and I sitting down before bed and walking through a quiet time together. Kids are watching which is good and bad, right? They're watching. But we, discipleship is, is not that hard. Just spend time with kids. Has that been up there long enough? Um, I still, I'll probably be looking at that all, all week this week. And it, by the way, if you'd like to have a list, that list, I'll email it to you if you're interested. Send me an email or a text and I'll send it to you. Um, the last thing for us to do is investing the gospel. I've, I've used that word, that phrase before already uh, to, 
discipleship and investing in the gospel are, are very similar things. Uh, the, the, the notion, the idea is still the same. But I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about the gospel and what it is. We've talked about discipling these kids towards Jesus. We've talked about the gospel. And this is fundamentally the, the last few minutes we have together this morning. I want to just reinforce for us when I say the gospel, when I say the faith, passing down the faith, when I say those things, that, that concept, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, Tim Keller says this about the gospel. This is what we are to invest in kids. I am more sinful and flawed than I ever knew. I am more loved and accepted than I ever hoped. This is the gospel in a quick sentence. I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever knew, and I'm more loved and accepted than I ever hoped. So what does that, what does that look like with kids? That means apologizing a lot. That means when you fly off the handle, not if, when you fly off the handle, you bring your kids in and you say, look, this is what I did, I'm sorry. And I'm broken. But my God loves me and accepts me. And it also means when they act crazy, when they argue all the time, when they fight with their siblings all the time, when their bed is still not made, you love them, you accept them. When you take them out for ice cream, when they drop the ice cream on your upholstery in your car, this is, we get to, to invest this in these kids, invest the gospel. Um, Another color quote. This is, I, I like this one a little bit more. Religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Like as a parent, this one is hard for me. Because I, I, I really want my kids to obey. And when they don't, it makes me really mad. And when I get really mad because they don't obey, my madness goes to madness and I'm I'm like even in the middle of of acting like a crazy dad I'm like step outside of myself what are you doing because I want obedience because I want them to obey but obedience for us towards God is born in his perfect and full acceptance of us Don't be a religious parent, be a gospel parent. Um, I want to walk through quickly here uh, four things of how the gospel informs what we do. Uh, Cooper, hit the, the, uh, the Matthew passage. And this is the one I warned you. I, I have to, I'm going to have to turn around and read this. So there's a lot here and you can't see that Bible. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. That's a really big deal. You are now a slave because you can't pay your payment. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Not only did he just say, okay, I'll let you go. You can pay me back. He said, no, you're, you're, the debt's gone. Okay? Verse 28. 
But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, began to choke him and say, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a, you've probably heard that story before. And verse 35, I think is probably the scariest verse in the Bible. Look at what it says. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's, a, that's big, right? That's scary. God is calling you to forgive. The gospel informs how you forgive. And that's a big deal for your kids, to teach your kids to forgive. And they need to see it. Just like Cooper sees me open the door for his mom, they need to see you forgiving people. And then it just happens. The gospel has to inform how we forgive. The gospel also informs how we serve. Hit that next one, Coop. Again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When we invest the gospel in people, this is what's coming out of us. Service. These kids, that list of 60 names, need to watch you serve. Here's where I'm going to get a little pokey at you. At the end of church, when we tear this thing down, I promise you people are paying attention. Who's tearing this stuff down? Who's putting this stuff away? Serve. Show them. Bring them alongside. You pull one of those chair carts out here. Hey, come here. Help me pull this cart out. Can you stand here and hold these up? Serve. The gospel is calling you to serve. The gospel is calling you to, to show service. The gospel is coming to, telling you to come alongside the kids and serve because they've got 70 years of life ahead of them. The gospel informs how we serve. The gospel informs also how we live. Hit that next one, Coop. One more. There we go. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I've preached this verse many times before, but the idea is just walking is living. That's the, the concept live in a manner worthy of your calling. And, and it's a, 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 that manner, that word worthy, worthy is of equal weight. And it's a measurement that the gospel and all that it is, we are to walk in that of equal weight. So what we do and how we act is of equal weight to the gospel, how we live. The gospel informs how we live. And we show that, teach that specifically 
outwardly, but also with our actions, we teach our kids what the gospel has done to us. And it changes how we live our lives, the things that we do and the things that we will not do. The gospel informs how we live, and we show it to our children. Last one, the gospel informs how we love. Romans 5, 8, um, my favorite verse in all of Scripture. But God shows, and that word shows is also demonstrates or proves. God demonstrates, God proves, God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word shows is the Greek word sunistea, which means to place within the reach. We're dead people apart from Christ, and he's placed his love within our reach so that we have the opportunity to interact with it. And this is a beautiful picture for how to disciple, how to invest the gospel in kids. Put your love, your concern for them, for who they are, for who they're going to be, for everything that they are. Put your love for those things within their reach. Let them be able to engage it, interact with it. It's so simple to do for a parent to hold their baby. I like to, when I was thinking about this verse, I like to think of of Mickey holding Luke. It's so clear how much she loves him. Her love is within Luke's reach. But I think the call for us goes beyond that. God is calling us to invest the gospel in the lives of these kids, to place our love for them, God's love for them, within their reach so that they have the opportunity and ability and chance to interact with it. And I promise you, God will do something with that. I promise you. It's not that complicated. Let's pray and respond to God. God, I thank you this morning for the beauty of your gospel and the beauty of your son, Jesus. The sacrifice that you made to send him to us and that he made to die for us, to place his love within our reach. God, I pray for the philosophical, big picture thoughts that you've given to us today. And I thank you for specific thoughts that you've given to us to think today. God, I pray that that this idea, this concept, this message would, would be profound in our lives and we would take you up on the offer to begin discipling and investing the gospel in our children and not just our biological children. And may we forgive as you forgave. May we live as you lived. May we serve as you served. And may we love as you loved. And may we do that towards our children. They are not our own. They are yours. And you will do great things through them and in them. God, guide us to love and live and forgive and serve our children and do so well. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.